let's have accountability for nonprofit organizations for engaging in the process of inquiry and reflection and improvement and and let go of the stakes when it comes to did you get a 3.5 out of 5 did you get a 4.2 out of 5 with certain boundaries we want to make sure that kids are safe that people aren't you know buying themselves gold plated watches with with funders money but that let's let's incentivize the learning and improvement process more so than the end goal. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, this is Lindsay Simons, your host of the Creating Community for Good podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with Corey Newhouse. She is a fellow consultant with 20 years experience working with nonprofits, educational, and social service organizations. Fearless in the face of gnarly spreadsheets and heritage database, as she puts it, she works with clients to help them navigate their data-rich environments to find the answers to their performance questions. Her goal is to continuously develop smart ways to help demystify information in order to develop meaningful improvements. You can learn more about her at www.publicprofit.net. With that in mind, Corey has been contemplating evolution of evaluation. Impact-driven work used to be supported based on reputation and influence of leadership. Then it became more rigorously evaluated by facts and figures, such as ROI, or return on investment, and they're taking a page from corporate work. Well, that method is evolving as well. So today we're seeing another change in trending. What we're looking at and what Corey argues is that organizations are going to be evaluated based on their deep learnings and learnings that are actually moving the needle towards change at a more intrinsic level. So how are you truly addressing the absolute biggest issue, regardless of the stated mission, which is pretty interesting. So take a listen and understand what Corey's thinking about, what keeps her up at night, and what trends are happening in this impact and valuation space. She's a real wealth of knowledge, complex thinker, and truly a kind spirit. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Take a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Creating Community for Good podcast. I'm excited to have Corey Newhouse here. And Corey and I met through a number of mutual connections, but we are West Coast consultants working with organizations on impact. Corey is one of those superpower brains who's super analytical and big picture thinking as well. So I want to just hand it over to you, Corey. Just tell us a little bit about what you're up to today and how you got there. Sure thing. And thanks again for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, So I'm the founder and principal of Public Profit. We are a consultancy that works with mission-driven organizations to help them use data to make great decisions, improve the quality of their work, and just really deepen the benefit that they're able to make in their communities. I often say that I've got the best job in the world because I get to learn for a living and I get to support organizations ranging from everything from big national philanthropies to national sports associations to tiny arts education organizations teaching cultural arts and dance and and everything in between. And throughout that, the, the real joy in our work is really helping our colleagues in the mission-driven field to make good on their drive, their passion for making a difference in our communities and their interest in doing that in a really reliable, consistent way that that is backed up by information. And so what that means on the day-to-day for us is we help our clients with things like collecting information through surveys and interviews and observations and focus groups and all of that good stuff. And then the hard part starts when we really have to help them also then think about what does this mean? What are the implications for our practice? And and how can we be different and better and even more impactful in in the work that we're doing in the community? And so again, I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody that I, I really do have the best job in the world to get to 
work with so many amazing organizations and, and help them be, be their best selves. Yeah, I was just listening to an interesting link on a video on LinkedIn talking about how important it is to have a mission-driven life or purpose-driven life, whether it is your job or it's some a hobby, a project you can really sink your t- teeth into. And alongside of that, the reports show that folks who are involved in community impact, whether it's you know in your space or if you're a program director or if you're a funder, any kind of impact-driven work is actually proving that you have much higher quality of life because you've got a better 24 hours where you're feeling more positive about your impact. So I love to hear that you wake up feeling good about the work you do and excited about it and it's meaningful to you. That's that's really special. Not everybody has the opportunity to do that. Indeed, I feel very fortunate. So tell us about what I'm really excited to talk to you about today is trends of how you use data. And so I wanna know, what were some of the old ways or the traditional ways we've seen in the last probably decade that impact reporting is really important for funders? And there are a few organizations that drove that change that are really saying, you know, we want to see dollar for dollar where the money is going and we want to be more involved in supervising nonprofits. Whereas the older days, like with the legacy organizations, there are our grandparents' generation, they were much more trusting of organizations and really loyal to brands. So they'd have one corporation would tie to one nonprofit and they were just teamed up for century or decades at a time, excuse me, not centuries, but you know, like I worked with the March of Dimes as an example, and they've gone through major changes in the last five years where they used to have corporations giving hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And it's sort of they did it because they'd always done it. Now, then in the last decade or so, we're seeing a lot more scrutiny and a lot more of the corporate giving from the bottom up where employees are directing where they want their money to go. Corporations are matching that. And then you've got foundations who are really looking at where's where is the impact? What's the ROI? What's the overhead? And now I think we're in a new stage. And that's what I want. You know, that's what you were sharing with me when we were talking. And I want to hear what is the new stage or what's the new evolution of how we're evaluating our work and when we're contributing to an organization. What how do we know if it's worth contributing to? Yeah, great question. And and a difficult question. If it were easy to answer, somebody would have written a book and we all would have bought it and, and you know, we'd be on our way. And I, I really appreciate the, the way you encapsulate, I think, some of the big picture shifts in terms of relationships between donors, both more institutional donors, but as well as individuals and, and how they think about their expectations for mission-driven organizations and, and what, what level of evidence they want. And I think that you know, it's been really interesting in my career to see the shift from what was a fairly technocratic approach, if you will, that the, the we can we can measure the right things and we just have to figure out what the right things are, and that will give us the answer about did this is this organization making a difference? Is are are people better off? Yes or no? And I'll admit, there's a there's a real attractiveness to that idea because then you know you get you get clarity on things that we would like to have clarity on and in some cases that is still eminently possible and i think that we shouldn't lose sight of the importance of having good information about the organizations that we're working with that we're contributing to at the same time and and what we're seeing in our work is just a much greater appreciation for the fact that mission driven organizations nonprofits especially are working in really complex spaces with really difficult to fix problems. Um, I heard an awesome interview with Phil Buchanan from the Center for Effective Philanthropy, whose book, Giving Done Right, is awesome. And, And something he says over and over is that nonprofits are working to address things that the market economy hasn't been able to fix. And so as a result, applying market economy or or business, so-called business principles, is probably not the right way forward because these organizations are trying to to correct things that the market has created. And and while that may not be true every single time in every single instance, I think it's a really helpful point of view that it's not making a better mousetrap, that helping, helping people who are chronically unemployed find work 
is is hard and complicated and difficult work and not not a straight line or you know edu- heaven knows educating a young person to be their fullest selves is hard and complicated and difficult work and so all that to say it's been really exciting in our field to see much greater appreciation for how complex and and challenging this kind of work really is and to see a corresponding appreciation of that in things like measurement and evaluation and performance management. So we're seeing quite literally a shift from phrases like monitoring and evaluation to evaluation and learning or learning and quality improvement. And, and I don't think that that's putting new, you know, new clothes over the same old outfit. I, I think it really is reflecting a greater appreciation for this need for something more dynamic, more sophisticated than thumbs up, thumbs down, did it, did it work or did it not? Mm, I love that. And so what does that mean? What does it look like to show learning over time? Yeah, and, and we're seeing a variety of different strategies in, uh, in our work. And, and of course, it's always going to depend on, on the different needs of the organization and, and their, their funders that they're working with. I think three, three things really come to mind. One is we're definitely seeing a greater emphasis on accountability for learning and growth processes within nonprofits rather than hitting a particular mark. And so, for example, one of my colleagues at the Center for Youth Youth Program Quality talks about let's have accountability for nonprofit organizations for engaging in the process of inquiry and reflection and improvement. And, and let go of the stakes when it comes to, did you get a 3.5 out of 5? Did you get a 4.2 out of 5? With certain boundaries, we want to make sure that kids are safe, that people aren't you know, buying themselves gold-plated watches with, with funders' money, but that let's, let's incentivize the learning and improvement process more so than the end goal. So, so we're seeing that really showing up in, in lots of different places in our field. And, and frankly, I'm really excited about that. I'm very excited about that too. I find that that's one of the biggest challenges is figuring out who's in charge. Is it the donor that's in charge or is it the nonprofit that's in charge? Oftentimes a donor who makes a very significant major gift wants to feel like he or she has control over the program or they want to dictate, this is what I want you to do with the money. I think you need to be starting a program like this or I want to initiate this new shiny object. Nonprofits are, because of the way they're structured, they are pretty much forced to follow the dollar. And so it takes a lot of discipline to say, no, we can't just take any gift. We must be disciplined to say, this is what our mission is and this is our practice. And also we want to grow and evolve, but we can't just respond to every dollar that comes in. The dog, the tail that wags the dog concept. And I think you see that with major, major donors. So I guess my question to you is then, how do you maintain control as the nonprofit? If, if we can assume that nonprofit is, is equipped with educated, informed, and committed leadership, then we can assume that they are focusing on progress and momentum. How do we enable their voice to be louder or more clear so that the donors feel like, yes, actually, I trust you again. And I feel like you're the one who is the expert and I want to enable you to have that success, but I'm not going to try to take over. And I think that that's sort of, you know, that's what's, that's what's been the challenge when we talk about impact and valuation. So now if you're really adding the layer of, no, let's talk about growth and learning metrics, how do you project that back to the, or share that back to the, the donor so that they can understand really what's happening and they feel that trust again. Yeah, and and I think it's going to look really different for for different donors and and as you point out, I think especially for major gifts there can be some blurring of some lines there, right? About well, I'm I'm writing this big check and therefore I yeah, I should have a, there's a higher level of accountability to me as a, as a major donor as distinct from you know, folks who write $25 checks or, or make, you know, the smaller investments. I think there's a, there's a couple different things that I see, again, as, as corollary to this kind of greater emphasis on, on learning and improvement, and that that is 
starting to recenter the the or continuing to recenter the program model that that north star if you will with the nonprofit more so than than with the donor or with the donor's strategy or or their goals and as you say it, it is a push and pull and i think it it doesn't have to be an either or that when when an organization has a really clear understanding of what it is that the, the the world's circumstance that they are trying to change and how what they are doing is meaningfully related to making that change and how they know that they're making that progress that is and and that sounds so obvious but i think the that center part of the organization really understanding that the things these are the things that we are doing and this is why we think it will actually make a difference in in the thing we're trying to change. And so, for example, you know, we work with an organization that helps formerly or people who are, who are having trouble getting a job to, to get employed. And one of the main things that they focus on is getting their, their clients access to brief paid work experience. And the reason why is because it helps to get them a job reference. It helps to get them access to Coworkers and other colleagues who can maybe refer them to other jobs, things that a lot of us really take for granted if we haven't been out of the workforce for a long time. But then when you think about it, oh, of course, we all get jobs working. You know, we all we all get referrals from friends. You know, to find other jobs. We know that when we have a glowing reference from a former employer, that's going to move us up to the top of the list. And so, that's an example of a. It's, it sounds so simple, but it's but it's so concise that. This is this is one of the ways in which this commu- this part of our community is being held back from the workforce, and here is a really concrete way that we can help people kind of put put that key in that proverbial lock in order to to be more employable and, and to be better able to enter the workforce. And so I think it is again that that level of care and thoughtfulness about how how the specific services or, or suite of supports. Is is aligned to getting getting folks from point A to point B, so to speak. That is that is a really critical part of, of keeping making the case for support, but really keeping true to one's vision. And you know, will that work for every funder every time? Probably not. <laughs> are are they still going to want to know how many people got employment versus how many didn't? Of course they will. And I think it, it it does help to broaden the conversation beyond just these endpoint metrics that are are critical and are subject to so many other factors that may be outside of the direct control of a mission driven organization. And so, how can we how can we have a little bit more of a sophisticated understanding about the situation that we're trying to change and how the organization is is being really savvy and smart about helping helping to make that change, contributing to that change. Mm. So what I'm hearing is that you're wanting to go back more to understanding the ecosystem and sharing where is the philosophy coming from and then how are we actually moving the needle on the philosophy in addition to the actual me- metrics. Is that showing the learning or what are the other ways that you might see this demonstrated? Like even just give me some tangible ways. So for, for my friends who are executive directors or fundraisers, what would they think of to demonstrate what you're just talking about? Would you see this in a typical annual report or are you seeing any other innovative ways of demonstrating the, the learning, the growing, and ultimately impacting the heart of the matter, even more so than the metrics? One of the best examples I have seen recently is from a group called 100K in 10. They are a multi-organization campaign to increase the number of teachers in the science, technology, engineering, and math STEM field. So they're 100K in 10, 100,000 more STEM teachers over the next 10 years. Huge goal. No one organization is going to do it. Even Bill Gates could write a big check and still not still not get it done. But the the and so it is an ecosystem question. It is a very complex question and, and an ecosystem question. They have this really clear and compelling model that shows 
what they call are the catalysts for making improvements in the getting to this 100K in 10. And so they are looking at things like regard for teachers in the United States, how are teachers thought about, talked about, how can we start to shift the narrative around how, how we talk about teachers in our society, shifting, shifting paradigms around the quality of instruction for in, in high school and college, because those, you know, we know so many people don't have great experiences in, in high school and college in those fields. And so get, you know, run away from it as fast as they can. What does it look like to make that a better experience so that more people find that passion and, and want to pursue it? And, and a lot of similar things like that. And, and I think the thing to take with you is this idea of a catalyst. And they're so smart about it. So there are these big, hairy, audacious goals um, within this overall campaign. But then they've been really thoughtful and savvy about saying, if we can turn the corner on these very specific things that's going to move the needle. That's going to really move us in this toward this larger goal. And I think that there are corollaries for almost all organizations that, again, are, are understandable to, you know, to donors, not too deep in, not too deep in the weeds, but that also take take a step back from setting setting the responsibility for fixing all the world's problems at a single nonprofit but but again showing how they're making that contribution and how they're being really smart about it that's great i love to hear that it sounds like a awesome organization too there there is such need for adjusting our way of educating especially during these days of covid oh my goodness yes <laughs> oh, it's a different time <laughs> that's that's very interesting and so i want to shift into understanding better metrics and how do you think that a nonprofit or a mission driven organization can best utilize their audience to tell a story through numbers and what are some of the ways that your company has done that, that we can learn from? Numbers are really great at showing how consistently and broadly something is happening. They are terrible at explaining why. And so we really do need both. And, you know, when definitely at the heart of our work is to encourage our, our clients to focus those metrics, focus those measures on the quality of the work that they are doing. Again, sounds painfully obvious, and it's real easy to skip right past yourself and focus on how many kids are graduated from high school, how many people are getting jobs, how many, how many people are getting housing, because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. And if we're not if we're not collecting information about the, the quality and consistency of the experience itself, we're kind of flying blind and, and we aren't able to engage in these meaningful learning conversations. And so one of the, the main things that we use numbers for is to really push on this idea of is, is every person every time having the types of experiences that, that you want them to have. And whether that is, you know, for young people, we're often thinking about forming caring relationships with peers and, other, and adults, getting access to new experiences, broadening their horizons, having the opportunity to build, build new skills and things they didn't think they could do before. For adults, it is reducing sense of isolation, broadening their own networks, Building, building skills that they want to build, uh, making progress toward goals that they want to make, the numbers can help us get a good sense of our, how consistently are these things happening for, for everyone we're working with. And, and then th that is complemented by those, those stories because, you know, no one as kids, we don't curl up in our in a, an adult's lap and say, Give, "Tell me a data set." We say, "Tell me a story," right? <laughs> and and so it, it's a, and so we do need to hear those stories. And I think we also need to to hold ourselves accountable for not just having that story, not just having that anecdote. There's always going to be that amazing person who against all odds, makes it work, is, you know, gets, you know, is changing their own life is, is amazing. And we need to celebrate and appreciate and love them. 
and we can't let we can't get off with just that one person being amazing incredible and fantastic how consistently is is everyone benefiting from our work and so again when we talk about metrics we very much think about numbers as that 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 generalizable information just how what's our consistency and then things like interviews focus groups case studies to to really give life and and meaning to to those numbers um, to really show the the range of experiences that people have the the range of ways that they are their lives are changing their their worlds are improving that that is helpful thank you and how do you know that you've got enough data so how what are people really wanting to see and how much, you know, how much surveying, how many questions, what are the sweet spots for like the minimum versus best practice of collecting data? Yeah. So thankfully, there are amazing websites. One of my favorites is called Riddle Me This, literally okay. called Riddle Me This. Love it. That can, that can help you to calculate, like on a, on a technical side, that can help you to calculate how many interviews do we need to do? How many focus groups do we need to do? How many surveys do we need? Because there's there's math behind it. And and it's, you know, thankfully it's written down in textbooks so I can look it up and figure out how to do it each time. I think that the more important question is to, to think about how do we how do we get that representative sample that generally speaking for almost any program we're not going to be able to collect every scrap of information from every single person, nor should we. It's not a good use of our time. So how, how do we get, you know, how, how do we get information from, a, from across our whole population rather than just one end or the other or, you know, one sector or the other? And then let's, let's be really parsimonious about collecting data that we're actually going to use. Not humans collect way more data than they need. It's so easy. I was going to say nonprofits, but I was like, no, no, it's just humans. It's humans. It's so easy to do. We're naturally curious creatures and there's there's an infinite number of interesting questions. And so I think one of the one of my main pieces of advice is to to really be thoughtful about how are you going to use this information? What actionable information is there here? And I think it's actually an equity issue a lot of the time because we are often asking for people's time to give us information. We're often asking fairly intrusive questions or that could feel intrusive depending on your life circumstance. And then all all the worse, I think sometimes we can be in a really bad habit of collecting data that simply reinforces really unproductive narratives. And so you know, and, and I feel this way about a lot of school assessment data, actually, that, you know, for how many years have we seen that black and brown kids are, are do not score as well on tests as, as white kids, as Asian kids? If you show me last year's numbers, I can tell you within five percentage points what this year's numbers are going to look like unless the adults get their acts together and do something different. And and so and so I think that that and that's how it's an equity issue of of let's not just keep collecting information that keeps reinforcing that things aren't working well. Let's let's try to collect information about how how we can make things work better. I will finally say that in our experience, funders and policymakers are often they often want less data than maybe we think that they do. And that it it they you know funders and 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 policymakers I think are more often more interested in what's the problem how are we going to help solve it here's some evidence about how we are how we are making that difference and that more detailed information subtle information that's going to help you for continuous improvement that's going to help you make sure every person every time is having this great experience. But you don't need to, you're, frankly, you're opening the door for interference and micromanagement if you're, if you're kind of sharing all of that at, from the get. It's awesome if you have in your back pocket and to say, well, actually, I do know how women and men have differential experiences in our organization. I do know how people of different, you know, with different uh, spoken languages do. That's, that's a boss move if you can make it. But in terms of that initial offering about who are we, what do we do, how do we know it's working, I think way more compelling is that that crisp, clean case of here's the challenge, 
here's the here's the really well-honed way of how we're addressing it and here are some of the ways that we know that that it's working yeah i love that and i love the boss move comment too because yeah when you can have information data in your back pocket that you're not showing right up front you know you can really have a more dynamic engagement with a funder beyond that i was thinking about this is the information you're sharing is very interesting about the the ecosystem, the impact. I want to get into like a nitty gritty question with you, which is how do you open or close a positive survey? So are there techniques to what does the survey recipient receives? I was thinking about that as you were talking about equity and how it is a burden to fill out a survey or to do an interview and who actually has the time to do that. Now, beyond that equity issue, what are ways to make it the most enjoyable for whoever does respond and say, yes, I'll opt in? How do you make this to be a a positive experience for them and as well as like a rich data collection opportunity for you? Yeah, there are are a couple good strategies. One is to be clear about how that information is going to be used and and just what that larger what the larger purpose is. It can be very easy to skip right over that because it's self-evident to me as I'm sitting down to write my survey, but why are we asking you to do this in the first place? To give folks an honest estimate of how long it will take. I can't tell you how many surveys I have stopped taking because I'm 10 minutes in and I have no idea when this dang thing is going to end. And I just, and it's like, I like, is this going to be the rest of my life? Like, oh my gosh, like what? The airlines are notorious for that. <laughs> right. And you're just like, why? I don't remember the peanuts. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and, and so to, to have that honest assessment of, hey, we need your insight. We're going to use it for this. It's going to take. 15 minutes. We're going to ask you questions about this, this, and this. Treat people like adults. Here's here's what you're getting into. Here's, here's what we're going to use. Here's what you're getting into. Seems reasonable. Great. I think it also is, whenever possible, two things. When, when we think about the principle of reciprocity, you you have given me something. How, how can I give you something back and appreciation? And I think this really reflects the roots of evaluation and social science research as frankly a very extractive enterprise of I I am the all-knowing expert and you are simply giving me inputs into my my grandmaster plan. That's ridiculous. And so certainly things like gift cards, access to something, you know, to a special webinar, swag, and anything, any, you know, any gimme that that you can provide to, to appreciate people's time. Is, is really helpful. I would say equally important is whenever you can, share the results back, share what you're gonna do. I think one of the main reasons why people resist completing surveys, resist doing interviews and focus groups is because it feels like they're shoveling their time into a big black hole that they never get anything back out of. And again, that's that, that extractive mentality. And so groups like the Fund for Shared Insight, for example, are doing amazing work about encouraging feedback loops. And even if the answer is, we're not sure that we're going to be able to take action on everything that everybody requested, that's okay. But to say, we are actually listening to you, we're actually considering the things that you're, the input that you're providing again, just really changes the dynamic and I think can, can start a really po- much more positive, much more positive mindset toward things like data. And again, hold, help, help create a little bit of accountability to organizations to actually ask, you know, ask for information they're going to use and, and then to use that information itself. Yeah. And to share it back. I think that's great. I think transparency and collective buy-in is really sort of what we're talking about here is as opposed to having like a, let me give you a, a, the gift card idea is motivational for some, but I do think that there are others who are very much really interested in moving the needle towards progress. And they don't want to, they don't need you to send them anything, but they really want to learn with you. And so they want to say, well, give me the report. I do as a, 
consultant for nonprofits focusing on major capital campaigns, feasibility studies are usually the starting point. It's understanding, is this feasible to do this campaign and testing the the case for support, looking at the prospective donors, looking at the leadership's viability, credibility, influence, and then ultimately, what's the plan? It doesn't make sense. So I will end up doing interviews with 30 to 60 or 100 individuals. And what I found is time and time again, the most interesting is when people say, now this is great, I'm happy to give my time, but I want to know what's going to happen from this. And making sure you give them a digestible 10-point executive summary. And I usually don't share the whole books. I just, I do like a one to three, five-page executive summary. And if they're really interested in knowing more, then sit down and have another follow-up conversation. But I found that people want to know how, how things are going. And they want to know why you're getting that info. So I appreciate what you're saying there. I actually had an interesting experience this morning where I was looking at social media and I saw a very, a nice message from Mel Robbins and she was inspiring me this morning, as you know, as you're scrolling during these days. And she said, text me, I'll respond. So I said, well, what the heck? I'm just going to text you. See if you want to be on my show, plug. And <laughs> and she said, okay, this is really me. And I'm, but you're going to get a link where you need to fill out your contact information. So I know that you're not a robot also. And so then I filled out my contact information and she said, great, now that, and this is all automated. Now that we're through that, I will review this text message and get back to you. And I thought it was a really interesting new format. I've never done that before. I've never texted, you know, a a hero, an online hero. And, and then the response was very much, as you said, instructional to say, this is what you can expect from me. This is what's going to happen next. Here's what I need from you to make sure that we're both being genuine humans here. And then you'll get my response. And I thought that was pretty interesting. If you look at surveys or communication with people that you're not necessarily you know, in a deep relationship with or meaningful relationship with. Indeed. And, and I think that's such a great point that the technology makes it easier than ever to, to have that kind of back and forth, that more reciprocal relationship. And Point well taken. It would be weird to be offering, you know, a senior leader in a large organization a twenty-five dollar gift card for for their time, but 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 to acknowledge that they are are offering insights and wisdom and and they are invested and interested and let's let's extend that respect and and be appreciative, and and I'm I'm so so happy you mentioned text because I think that's really. I think it's a space where there's just going to be so much innovation in terms of ability for mission-driven organizations to interact with donors, with their clients, with interested stakeholders in ways that are very similar to what you just described, that that more dynamic, interactive kind of way, both for the purposes of, of data collection, but but also for just forming and, and sustaining relationships and, and being able to, to stay in touch. And mix, I think that's going to be one of the, the things that like so many things, you know, three, four years from now, we'll kind of shake our heads and be like, can you believe there was a time when there wasn't dot, dot, dot having, yeah, having to do with, with text and, and in particular that those more sophisticated uses of the technology? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jamie Alexis Fowler was a guest on my show a few episodes ago, and she's created a nonprofit that is an emergency a crisis response hotline for employment. And so she talked all about deep listening via text message. And my mind was blown. I'm like, deep listening via text? No, yeah. this, these words don't go together. <laughs> she said, no, they do. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's it's a lot of what we've been talking about here, which is like setting expectations to say, I, I'm here. I'm hearing you. Here's what you can expect from me. Here's what you won't get from me. Setting up those boundaries. And then you have a lot more freedom within those to play and to have a more productive conversation. That was pretty interesting. So what keeps you up at night, Corey? What is like, what is a a big question that's systemic or system-wide even you think about and you're you're just sort of curious about? Yeah, I am. I am really interested to see how the intersection of lessons learned from COVID and, and disaster grant making that a lot of foundations and donors have been moving into 
moving faster than before, making general operating support, really, really shaking up their, their approaches to grant making and therefore their expectations around data and accountability and reporting. That's one stream. The, the increased national attention on racial disparities in our communities, on police brutality, on the need to invest in organizations led by people of color is and and therefore how do we how do we have make corresponding shifts in our understanding of what it means to be effective and a strong organization in much broader broader senses of the word than I think often we we can have pretty narrow definitions. I see those two things coming together in exciting and yet to be determined ways when it comes to the work that we do around collecting information informing change, making continuous, you know, focusing on continuous quality improvement. I think we're going to see a lot of shifts in methodology. I think we're going to see a lot of shifts in underlying philosophy about what is important, what is valued, what it, what counts as evidence. And it's it's a really a really dynamic time and therefore a really scary time because we have we're not yet in the future that we that we want to be in. So I think those are things when when I think about how how the field of evaluation and learning and, and data and metrics and and kind of that whole part of our world is going to look a few years from now, I'm hopeful that it is going to be different and more more culturally humble and more um, more accepting of a broader range of different types of information. And how we're going to get there and what that looks like is is a great big question mark in the sky for me. So so I'm excited to see where we're headed there and really grateful that there are so many incredibly intelligent, thoughtful folks in our field who are are helping to to co-create that future together. Mm, Yeah. Yep. I love that. I share that, that thought and that question, curiosity. What gives you hope, Corey? This has been true for me for a very long time. The amazing young people in our society, who would have thought, this is, this is going to date me, but who would have thought that the football players of the Pac-12 college conference would be the ones calling the NCAA to account for racial inequities, for player safety, for overpayment of coaches? <laughs> amazing amazing and that's just one very specific example from this week that you know that just has me you know that that has me turning you know little miss flint who has been raising money for clean water for communities around the country who've been subject to systemic racism for decades amazing she just turned 13 good gravy like when can we vote for her right like let's do this and and so i I think that that you know, this year especially, you know, has knocked so many of us for so many loops and, and, and given us so many reasons to be, to be sad and to see just that, that wisdom and care and innovation from young people and their willingness to stand up and say, this isn't right and I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to be proud about doing something about it and, and stand on my own two feet. Is just amazing, and and we can all, I think, take take some pages from their books about how to how to be brave and how to be visionary, and even even if it feels like a long shot, it's still still worth trying. Oh man, I love that. <laughs> you got me excited. <laughs> I feel hopeful too. And so so now I'm gonna as I'm making notes about resources to share, I'll set I'll share the letter in the Players Tribune from the Pac-12 football Please. players. I was like. I need to broaden my understanding of who plays college football because this is amazing. <laughs> totally, totally. But the way you just described it, the wisdom, the care, innovation, and then action. They're just action-oriented and using social media to just make it happen in a way that I think other generations are really grappling with to try to understand, wait, what platform are they using in the first place? And what are they talking about? What are all these acronyms? But it's amazing. They're like, I don't care if you don't get it. 
other people get it and we're going to make change. And uh, it's super interesting to see how they just do not wait for consensus or buy-in or approval. They just seize opportunity and go for it. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Well, and, and, and that it is, it is, I think, a really different model of leadership that, that they're not going through those channels. They're not waiting for permission and the, but, but also it, it is, at least in the examples that are coming to mind for me, it is also a much more collective vision of leadership. It is not just that one hero on the stage, wind blowing through his hair, because you know it's always a him, you know, kind of saving the day. But it's 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 people standing up together and looking around and saying, wait, we we have this common interest, and we're stronger when when we when we stand together and we work together. And and not that those models have not been around for a very long time. And I think we can all use that inspiration that that there are different ways to, to be leaders and, and to inspire action and always happy, happy to have those amazing examples from, from people who, who are making that part of our everyday lives. Yeah. I love that. Well, that gives me hope too. What question have I not asked you, Corey, that we should really cover in our, in our final moments? Probably I would ask what, what is the most important piece of information that a that a nonprofit could share with their donors? All right. What is the most important <laughs> piece of information the nonprofit could share with their donors, Corey? Tell us. Great question. Thanks for prepping me. I, well, I was like, oh boy, should I even say because like, do I even know the answer? Like, oh, I'm in that. Like, okay. There you go. I bought you a few seconds of thinking time. <laughs> This goes back back to our ecosystem com- part of a conversation around ecosystems and and helping donors to see see the larger set of circumstances that led to to what's happening. And so I think that that piece of information that mission driven organizations can share is why are things different than we think they should be? Why what what is the thing that we are trying to shift or to change that can that can get us closer to what we want to be different. It can be really big. We want 100,000 STEM teachers in the United States in 10 years. It can be small. We want people who have been employed, unemployed for a long time to have some paid work experience so that they have a better chance of getting back in the job market. It, does, it, it can be any size, but I, but I think that pushing to get that clarity about what, what is that gap? We're here, we wanna be here, what what's in between is is going to put all of the data points, all of the anecdotes and in, into context and make it really resonant for for donors, for supporters, for clients, for staff that, that this is this is what we're trying to do. I love that. That's a great way to end. And, you know, some of the phrases that I've seen in fundraising in particular, just to, to get a very concrete example is we're asking for this investment so that we can or we are doing this so that we will, or this is where we are today. This is where we could be tomorrow. So what you're talking about is really showing the difference between the start and the hope or the aspiration. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, you rocked it, Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm so appreciative. Thank you. Oh, this was fun. You're a great guest. I I usually end my interviews by asking for the guests to have a chance to shine a light on either another person or a organization or a mission. I feel like you've done a lot of that and I love that. Is there anything else that or anyone else that you want to just give a little extra love to? Could be a repeat of what we've just talked about or something new and it really doesn't have to be grand, but just something special that you want to highlight. So many things going through my mind right now. Oh boy. They're, and it's so funny. They all, like, I'm trying to like figure out, like, it's just, it's like this Rolodex, right? That's like going through my mind. I think the, I mentioned them briefly earlier in our talk, the Fund for Shared Insight is doing some really cool work around helping nonprofits and funders think really differently about the role of feedback in in the nonprofit world. 
and they are putting their money where their mouth is. They, they provide uh, grants and technical assistance and all, all different sorts of resources, um, but also I think are just helping to change the narrative around what do we do with the data we're collecting? Is it solely for funders? And these funders are saying, no, it's not just for us. It's, it also needs to go back to the communities that, that we are serving. We, we, we need to be accountable and, and responsible for, for, our own, for our own processes around collecting input and acting on it. And I think it really just embodies some of the really neat shifts that we've talked about today around, again, moving away from monitoring and evaluation and toward learning and quality improvement. And, and I'm excited about the contributions they're making to those shifts in our, in our thinking and in our action. Beautiful. Well, I'm glad to know about that resource. I have actually not been familiar with it until now. So I'm happy to know that. Thank you. Corey, this has been such a wonderful conversation. You're such a delight and such a caring and thoughtful person. Thank you for sharing your time and your insights and candor and humor. And you've definitely put a smile on my face. Oh, good. This was such a delight. Thank you. Thank you again. And good. I'm so glad that I think in these in these difficult times that so many of us are continuing to to stay optimistic and even even if we're not happy <laughs> to stay optimistic. And that it really is I think we'll I'm I'm hopeful we'll be able to look back at this time and say, wow, things things got a lot better and and a lot different and a lot fairer for for all of us and I'm excited I'm excited to be in the future and be able to to see that come to light awesome thank you thank you this was so, so lovely Yay. this was fun thanks for tuning in to this week's episode if you liked what you heard let me know again i'm open for free consultation if that's of interest to you send me a message on linkedin or via email at info at lindsaysimonsconsulting.com. Please review and rate my podcast as well. That would really help me out in moving the needle for continued podcasting. I prefer Apple Podcasts, but Spotify and others stream my podcasts as well. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic and or want to be a guest, then let's just connect. Send me a note and connect with me. Tell me what you're interested in. Hope you have a great day and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.